0: Good evening and welcome to yet another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens and I'm in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse with Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor.
1: Uh, Good evening, Bill Nathan.
0: Pastor, we have a question that came in via text message in response to the program last week. And that question is, Is Ellen G. White a god in the Adventist church, and if not, what is her role, and why is it wrong to address her as Miss White?
1: To my knowledge, the um, character Ellen G. White is perceived to be a prophet, a prophetess, should I say. Uh, She's claimed that she has the spirit of prophecy, and of course, um, a lot of her writings, she claimed that she got direct communication from God, And uh, she had angelic visions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So there's no reason to call her a god. I'm not too sure who would call her a god. And I see absolutely nothing wrong in calling her Mrs. White. Certainly she was not a prophetess in the sense that she spoke truth because the things that she wrote that certainly did not come true. Moreover, she claimed that a lot of her writings were direct revelations from God when in truth and fact, she was one of the biggest plagiarists, plagiarists Uh, that the religious world has ever known. For those of you who doubt my assessment of that, you can go online and purchase the book, The White Lie, and you'll see absolutely where her writings are set on one side of the page and the sources of her material, where she got the material, is put on the other side of the page. Uh, She always claimed that she was original and that uh, she got information from God. This is proven to be false and not true. She was really a huge plagiarist.
0: This evening, we're picking up where we left off last week in our discussion of cults. And specifically, last week, we were examining the Jehovah's Witness religion and comparing their teachings to scripture. Pastor, so that we're all on the same page, for those who have never tuned into That's Truth before or haven't been listening to this particular topic on cults, can you define, briefly define the word cult for us as you're using it?
1: And the way that we're using the word cult really, um, it has to do with a particular group that has deviated from the fundamental, cardinal doctrines of Christianity. Uh, so we're using it in that regard, um, moving away from particular biblical truth. Um that doesn't mean that the particular group has gone away from all biblical truth, but there are major doctrinal areas that are that they are aberrant in their teaching. And uh, that is generally what, how we're defining the concept of cult.
0: If you're joining us this evening for the first time on That's Truth, it's great to have you be part of the discussion this evening. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, thank you for taking the time to join in on the studio and watch the behind the scenes. If you have a question and you're watching on Facebook Live, you can send that question as a comment, and we will pass that along to Pastor Murphy. Last week, Pastor shared with us some about the history of the Jehovah's Witness religion, and he was also sharing about the inadequacies of their Bible version, and that is entitled The New World Translation. Pastor, I know that many of these so-called new religions have changed their official views on different social issues as time has gone on. Have the JWs followed this pattern?
1: If you uh, do some research into the uh, JW and you have access to some of the Watchtower magazines that they produced formerly, you'll discover that there's been a lot of flip-flopping and a lot of things that they they taught at at one time. For example, um, take the matter of um, organ transplant. Um, They were against organ transplant between 1967 to 1980. And they held that it was a form of cannibalism. Uh, that has changed. And in the last 13 years, they're now allowing uh, transplants in terms of like your cornea, um, different parts of the body, the organs, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a, a tremendous flip-flop. One time you're saying that, you know, remember that the Jehovah's organization, uh, God uh, is speaking directly to them and giving them the correct interpretation. As a matter of fact, since 1914, Christ has returned invisibly and he now rules uh, from the Jehovah's Witness uh, Society uh, headquarters in New York. And he gives them the correct interpretation of the Bible. So everything that comes out in their magazines are supposed to be coming directly from God through that particular body that rules there. And so when they speak, they speak authentically that this is what God has said. But how can God tell you one time that it is wrong to practice organ transplants and then a few years later it's okay. Uh, that's the kind of flip flop that, that goes on. Um the other the other part of it of course is that they've been um flip flopping on the matter of the time of the Gentiles and the time when the Lord will return. Uh first of all, they said it was going to be in eighteen seventy five, eighteen seventy two. Now uh, he has returned in nineteen fourteen. Um, there are other dates that I will give you as time goes on, but again, that's a, a massive flip-flop. It can't be one and then the other, but if you are speaking to an authentic organization, uh, you can't say the Lord has said this, and, and, and then you, you change your mind uh, in that regard. And then the, um, the the other things that they have changed on, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Beth Sarim. is supposed to be, uh, it really means House of Princes, And they thought uh, that in 1929, uh, David and Gideon and Barak and Samson would return and live. So they built a a kind of a a palatial uh, building where these people were supposed to to come back. As a matter of fact, in 1930, the deed of the property is actually in the name of King David and Gideon and Barak and Samson. And of course, 19... 27 came, 1929 came, 1930 came, nothing happened. And then the building was finally sold um, by them. But again, here is an organization claiming to be the authentic voice of God for the end times. And they are making these uh, predictions, actually taking the the people's money, investing in this palatial building, talking about these Old Testament saints uh, being resurrected and returning to rule. And then the utmost... um, uh, embarrassment that these things uh, do not happen. There's also flip-flop on birthdays, for example, and uh, on, on Christmas. Um, they used to celebrate Christmas at one time uh, in their magazines. Now it's a pagan day. Uh, they used to celebrate birthdays and actually put the dates of the, the, those birthdays in their Watchtower. Now birthday is supposed to be paganistic. Uh, they flip-flop on, on so many different issues. It's just, it's, it's just stunning. That uh, organization could get away uh, with something like this. The Do they give that,
0: any kind of explanation on that? As for, or they just
1: kind of brush uh, it under the rug? Well, it, not only brush it under the rug. I think by the time the change comes about, um, people would have forgotten about that. Uh, so it, it a lot of a lot of these, and then not only that, um, it's new revelation. Uh, basically. Uh, it's the same thing with the Mormons, it's the same thing with other groups. Um, this new revelation. Re- revelation is not static. It is something that's progressive. Uh, the other thing that I thought was fascinating is that they used to teach that uh, the cluster of stars Pleiades, that God actually ruled from one of those stars called Asione, that that was his headquarters. And uh, they're taught that, and then you find that, for example, in reconciliation, page fourteen studies in the scripture volume three page three two seven uh, and then they flip flopped on that in nineteen fifty three in the Watchtower magazine November fifteenth page seven o three They changed that now, saying that God is not cannot be specifically located on this particular star. Uh, I think the biggest problem that people are not aware of these things, I'm not too sure if any Jehovah's Witness who might be listening tonight uh, is aware of these things and how they flip-flop. When I was a boy growing up, the the world was to end in 1975. I mean, this was in their brochure in one of their their tracks. Uh, Again, that has changed. Surely 1975 has come, nothing has taken place. And I wonder sometimes how it is possible for an organization that uh, makes such egotistical claims that they're the only voice in the end time that God speaks through, uh, how they're able to get away with such reckless uh, date setting and changing and flip-flopping on their views on different matters, etc. Another thing I would like to say, the, at one time the servant, the discreet servant, and that is talked about in Matthew chapter twenty-four was was Russell. Now today, the faithful servant and discreet servant is the organization. They're the flip-flop twice on that. Uh, who, now, who is a faithful servant? Who is the discreet servant? Is it Russell? Is it the organization? Is it Russell? Is it the organization? This back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seem to those of us who 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 know and those who are prepared to do the research. Uh, can understand very clearly that God is not the author of confusion. God doesn't change his mind like a switch back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But this is something that's been going on with the JW for a number of years. And it's almost embarrassing that people have not been willing to be intellectually independent to call it down for what it is, a farce and a distortion. Uh, People just continue to blindly follow the group without doing the investigating. And even when they see the investigating, uh, they're still disinclined because they think apostates has written that, et cetera, et cetera.
0: You're listening to That's Truth, and we are discussing cults and specifically the Jehovah's Witness religion and comparing their teachings to that of scripture. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, we would love for you to ask it. You can call 1-268-462-7420 or you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 782 1454 Pastor, if they are putting that much trust in their organization, do they
1: see their organization as a divine entity? Well, not only do they see it as a divine entity, um, it might shock you to... Um, Uh, inform the the public exactly what is their view of their own organization. I wanna make some quotes here coming from their Watchtower and their kingdom um, documentation. Um, Our knowledge of our kingdom ministry written in November 1990, page one, uh, virtually says you join the JW uh, because it's virtually essential for salvation. Identifying themselves with Jehovah's organization is essential to their salvation. So that is not a quote from any other source than from the JW source itself, that it is necessary to identify yourself with the group in order to um, have salvation. Uh, it's also necessary for you to have an understanding of the Bible, that you be part of your organization. I want to quote from Watchtower, November 1961, Um It says, God wants his earthly servants united. And so he has made understanding the Bible today dependent upon associating with his organization. So in actual fact, nobody can understand the Bible except you link up with the Jehovah's organization, because this is how God is speaking through today. Uh, In Watchtower, 1965, July 1st, uh, they wrote, He does not impart his Holy Spirit, and understanding and appreciation of his word apart from the visible organization. So even the Holy Spirit now and the understanding and the comprehension and appreciation of the word cannot be achieved except you come to the organization. There's another quote that I think is um, equally damning, October 1st, 1994. Uh, The fact that we cannot understand the Bible on our own, uh, we need help. Jehovah, through his organization, however, has allowed his loyal servant to understand the meaning for us today. So once again, we can understand the Bible reading, but you need the organization to give you the proper understanding of the Bible. And then in Watchtower, December 1, 1981, Jehovah has provided his visible organization. Unless we are in touch with this channel of communication that God is using, we will not progress along the road of life, no matter how much Bible reading we do. So this organization is indispensable for you to understand and comprehend the Scripture and uh, to have the Holy Spirit. And then in Watchtower December 1, 1981, unless we are in touch with this channel of communication that God is using, we will not progress along the road of life, no matter how much Bible reading we do. By the way, this is the single most important doctrine of the JW Witness, uh, which means that you must have a relationship with the organization in order either to be saved, or in order either to comprehend the Bible, or even to get the Holy Spirit. This is not uh, coming from um, not, make, not making statements and just creating language. This is exactly quotations from the Watchtower documents themselves. So this is the, the whole concept that there are called by God to restore the true knowledge of Scripture, and you cannot have a proper interpretation of any part of Scripture except come to the Jehovah's Witness organization. That is basically what uh, is being taught uh, by them. One other um, uh, quotation, July uh, 15th, it says, uh, it is vital that we respond to the directions of the slave as we would the voice of God. Now, who's the slave? The Jehovah's Witness organization. So we must respond to them as we respond because they're actually the voice of God today. That's the kind of audacity and egotism, uh, egotistical uh, arrogance that comes from the Jehovah's Witness organization. So, as far as the Jehovah's Witness is concerned, it's not a matter, uh, you don't decide in Scripture, it's not using your logic or using evidence or using biblical passages. What's important for him is the interpretation that comes to the organization because only that organization can properly interpret the Bible for people today. If that isn't culted, I don't know what else is. I was
0: just going to say, that makes me think back to when you were talking about what the tenets are of a cult or characteristics, yeah. and the fact that if they say they exclusively have the truth, yeah. you can't get any more exclusive than that.
1: That is the, the, one of the fundamental marks of a cult. You'll also find it when we deal with the, the Seventh-day Adventists, that there are the church called today to restore the true knowledge of God. When you go to the Mormons, it's the same thing, that they're the end-time institution called to restore the knowledge of God, which was lost. Every cult, cult claims this exclusive link with God in some way, and it's about restoring the true knowledge of God. That's one of the marks of the cult, and clearly, the JW have this mark supremely.
0: I know that the Mormon Church had some very um, racist views uh, in their early days, uh, where the are you aware of any racial views of the Jehovah's Witness movement?
1: I I do have a, one or two quotations uh, out of that, but I do know that that when it first started, uh, one of the things that Russell said uh, is that basically and basically he said that um, whites were superior because they had intermarried within the that 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 clan of whites. And uh, that, therefore, fostered the development of more intellectualism and so on and so forth. That is a statement coming from Russell himself. You would discover that most of the cults that started uh, at the time, the time in which they were living, the type of culture, the environment, uh, there was this racial bias. There's no question about that. And that was carried over into the into their religion. When you study the Mormons, you'll find also as well that they had a lot of uh, blacks, for example, were excluded, excluded from the priesthood. Um, I will give it a year when we started to deal with that. But for years, they were excluded because they were viewed as um, inferior, and they were also had the, the mark of Cain on them, etc. cetera. Uh, that's how they viewed at the time. But those things have changed over time because I think the environment has changed, the culture has changed, and the worst thing that can happen today is to be labeled a racist So I think over time, this has brought about a transformation.
0: I was reading and I saw it in a number of different sources. It said that the JWs or the Jehovah's Witness religion is one of the more ethnically or racially diverse religions of the world. So doesn't that mean that they're doing something right? Shouldn't we be joining forces with them if
1: they are so diverse? Diversity is not the cardinal thing when it comes to association or uh, going along. I suppose every other... Uh, well, I suppose today the Mormons might claim that as well. I suppose other groups would claim it. What really matters is that, that, that we follow the truth of Scripture. What does the Bible teach? Is that particular group following the, the scriptural principles? Is it following the biblical doctrine? Is it in line and harmony with what the Bible teaches? It doesn't matter how much social good they're doing, it doesn't matter how integrated they are ethnically, whatever it is, those are those are not the factors that determine whether or not you become part of an organization. It all boils down to the matter of biblical truth, the teachings of scripture, and what are the doctrines that they hold to. Um, even though they may have all these good things that they might be doing, whatever they're doing, uh, that is not the basis for making a decision to becoming part of a particular religious group.
0: A little while ago, you were referencing their prophecies. And I think you said 1975, the world was supposed to end. And obviously, that didn't happen. We're in 2018 now. What are some of those prophecies? What were some of their major prophecies?
1: Well, look, they promised uh, about 13 times in their books that, that the world would come to an end. First of all, 1877, then 1886. Then they went to 1914. Then they went in 1915, then they went in 1925, 1939, 1940, 1941, 1942, 1946, 1950, and then 1975. So they've been changing. They've been moving the goalposts every time. And uh, um, the one that is most cardinal, however, is the f- 1915 date, uh, when, 1914, 14, when yeah. our Lord was supposed to return. And by the way, it is fascinating— <laughs> how they came up with this date. They have no logical s- system of hermeneutics. Uh, they have no laws of hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. They just seem to grab one verse from one section, ignoring the context altogether, and just push them together. For example, take the 1914 date.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is how they arrived at it. Um, they did a calculation, and they said the last king of Israel was 306 B.C. Um, they said that's uh, 605 B.C., So I'm sorry, 605 BC, uh, B.C. That's when the last king of Israel was there. And they took the three and a half times in the book of Revelations um, you'll find that in the book of Revelations. And that is equivalent to uh, Revelation 11.3. That's equivalent to 1260 days, th- three and a half years, basically. Okay? And then what they did, they took the seven times in the book of Daniel. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? It was seven yeah. times he would be uh, become like an ox and eat yeah. grass. Mm-hmm. They took that seven times. Now, if three and a half times is 12... 60 days. Seven times is going to be twice that, which will bring you then to uh, twenty twenty-five 20. All right? And what they did uh, basically after that is that they um, subtracted the 607 from 2580 and came up with 1913. And that then they lead that to, because they come in 1914. Now, that's how they arrived at 1914, that the Lord would be the next ruler after the, the last Israeli king, which is 605. Uh, so when you take these seven times and you do your computation, uh, you end up with 2520. Uh, and then what you do now, you, you just subtract and you come to that date. So you set that date as the Lord coming to reign. Now, how in the world... You take <laughs> three and a half times or uh, from Revelation, you take seven times from Daniel, and then you take six or six oh five BC. And by the way, most uh historians will tell you the last king was not six oh five. It was five eighty six BC when uh, five eighty six when the Jewish kingdom was lost and Nebuchadnezzar completely destroyed it. So they are they're at loggerheads with the the historians who gave 586, 587, they're saying it's 605. But that's how they came up with 1914. Now, by what system of logic can anybody explain to me how you can arrive at that day? There's no context. They've taken one passage of another, let's rip them apart, then bring them together. But why is 1914 the day? Because the Watchtower says that's how it is. And they are the final voice of God today. They're the ones that interpret the Bible, but they have no system of hermeneutics, and it's just a random process of bringing things together, but the date was settled.
0: Do you know how they would respond to the verse that says that no man knoweth the, the time of the return of Christ?
1: Well, I am not too sure um, exactly how they would respond to that, because I don't think that is relevant to them. Do you think they? T-
0: I guess I should ask. Do you know if they removed that verse from there? No, that verse
1: is is still in their their okay. Bible, but they would they would they would put a spin on it. Okay, uh, and uh, would probably relate that to the the coming back of Christ during Armageddon, right? But remember that they by setting nineteen fourteen, they've set a date for Armageddon, the final day when the world will end, because all those who were alive in nineteen fourteen that generation cannot die off before mm-hmm. Armageddon happens. So if you do the calculation, you take 12, say 12 years, 14 years for somebody to be saved in 1914. Mm. The people today who are still alive, who need are waiting to die, are those who are in 94, 96. And I do not know how many Jehovah's Witnesses in 94, 96, and how many of that generation. But that generation has to die off from 1914. When that generation die off, Christ has to come back and Armageddon has to and he's set up his kingdom. So quite frankly, right now, we are mi- minutes to midnight as far as they're concerned because those that are left are in the 90s, either 94, or 95, along that line. So how much longer we've got, that is the kind of uh, bizarre interpretations that they have. But again, it's set in, the, in stone. And I suppose when that generation is gone, they'll probably come out with another date. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we have a question that has come via WhatsApp message from the UK. Is the j w right in not celebrating Christmas on the twenty fifth of December, seeing there is no recording of the day and the date of jesus christ's birth?
1: I think every believer has the right to make the decision in respect to days. Paul makes that very clear in Galatians and in Colossians. Let every man be fully persuaded in respect to a day and of course, in the book of uh, Colossians, uh, Paul is dealing with Jewish uh, celebrations and dates where there were people who had come into the Jew- into Christian faith, were still Judaizers, holding very strong to Jewish dates, and there was certainly some dispute as to whether or not you should have these Moise, um holidays as uh, coming into the Christian faith. And uh, the Apostle Paul left it to the discretion of uh, the believer. Let every man be fully persuaded in respect to these matters. That goes back to the Sabbath as well. There was still some confusion. But again, Paul said, let every man be fully persuaded. Now, because we don't know the exact date that Christ was born, which is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people put it in October. Some put it in January. I think that's a discretionary uh, move in terms of the individual. If a religion feels that they do not want to celebrate um, uh, December twenty fifth, the Lord's date. I personally don't have a problem with that. However, if a religion does decide to celebrate that, I don't see then why somebody should hold that against that person. Because um, I came from a church in Barbados that celebrate uh, um, the December twenty fifth as the Lord's as the um, the birth of our Lord. Um, but we were not. I mean, even as a church, we weren't too sure. Nobody knows exactly what date it is, but we never saw it as a pagan festival. We saw it as a time set aside uh, to worship Christ and to recognize his birth. And we also saw it as an occasion for evangelism because in Barbados, there are two days that people go to church.
0: Easter and Christmas.
1: Easter and Christmas. And we always use it as a preaching opportunity. So I think uh, a decision like that has to be made. And um, I I would not in any way condemn any church that said, listen, we're not going to celebrate Christmas on the other hand, I will not consider any church paganistic or any group paganistic because they decide to observe uh, that particular date for the birth of Christ.
0: Well, we're on the topic, though, why do the Jehovah's Witnesses not celebrate Christmas?
1: Is it because it's December
0: 25th or are there other underlying reasons they oppose? Basically,
1: my understanding is that they perceive it as a pagan festival. And uh, they said uh, that And some of this is correct, by the way. If you read um, Alexander Hislop's The Two Basque Babylons, he he does an extensive job on showing the parallels between the Christian festivals and and dates, etc., that were brought into the church. And he showed you very, very clearly that when uh, Constantine made the Christianity the legal religion of Rome, and um, the pagans started flooding, flooding into the church, and what the church did in order to encourage them to come in is that they they created parallel feasts and dates, so they wouldn't have to go to the pagan feast; they would have a Christian one. So there is some legitimacy there that some of the dates that we've got today actually were put in place to replace pagan festivals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you can't deny that history that is there, but again, it's not that we're that they're worshiping false gods; it's just creating something so that the pagans would not have to revert back to that. And they see that Christmas uh, was one of those festivals and that um, that's why the church put that particular date uh, for the, uh, the Lord's birth because they were trying to minister to the pagans, prevent them from going after the pagan festivals. So you create one as a substitute. You know, it's like if I want to use a parallel, it's like people going to carnival, that, that time of carnival, and the church decides to have some activities on that same day. Are we celebrating carnival because we have it on the same day? No. Absolutely not, mm-hmm. see, but we're creating a substitute. And I think that is where they've gone from one extreme to the other. Um, and of course, by being unique in that regard, it has an attraction uh, to certain people who think that this, because of this uniqueness, certainly these are the ones that have a corner in the truth vis-a-vis the others. But, um, I personally um, think that, that I don't have a problem with any church celebrating Christmas, um, but I do have an understanding of the background and see why some groups would, would, would be um, against it, et etc. Et but I don't think there's any church that I know of, whether it be Baptist or Lutheran or, or Catholic or whatever, that celebrates December 25th, the Lord's Day, with the intention that they're observing some pagan festival is always to honor the Lord.
0: So could we use that same rationale, though, of providing a substitute to we just had Halloween last week mm-hmm. uh, when people are out trick-or-treating and celebrating Halloween from a secular perspective and a church has an an alternative activity uh, that's legitimate from a biblical perspective in your mind?
1: Of course. As a matter of fact, I do think that the church need to offer people alternatives, whether it be carnival, whether it be something – uh, if we we can stay on these sidelines and condemn, mm-hmm. it's like the problem take, I mean, don't want to rush off. They might see the connection between this. It's like we condemning abortion, but we do nothing to help the person who is pregnant. So what's the use of, of having a foghorn and we just condemning, condemning, condemning? If we really feel that it is wrong, we should try to help to create an alternative for the person who doesn't have to go in that direction. And same thing with these other things. If we think these things are wrong, and we don't feel that people should be engaged in him. Well, a lot of times, coming out of the um, secular background, these are activities where you go, families go together to do things, they enjoy things together. Why doesn't the church create something as an alternative? I see no problem in that whatsoever. I think it's a fantastic idea that we offer alternatives to people rather than going down the normal secular cultural road altogether.
0: You're listening to That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua, On eleven sixty kilohertz AM, ninety two point three megahertz FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is eight oh five. Pastor, as you were talking, I was—I know you've often mentioned Wilberforce and the efforts that he did. In this slightly different topic, but the efforts that he had in getting rid of slavery and the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. Uh for those of you that are listening, let me encourage you, if you aren't already tuning in and listening to stories of great Christians uh, in the mornings and in the afternoons, and I'll give you that time uh, here shortly, but that we're right now going through the story of Wilberforce, very powerful. I never realized, Pastor, how much opposition he
1: and even threats of violence that he faced. Yeah, I think that's a classic example of a person who saw his responsibility uh, to God. And and remember, Wilberforce Wilberforce was a politician, and we need to constantly remind ourselves of that. But again, he took Christ and he took Christianity into the Parliament of England, and uh, he took a stand and uh, brought the moral issue on the conscience of the nation of England, and by persistence persistent, constantly. And not only that, he gathered the facts about what really slavery was like and and, and so on and was constantly bombarding uh, the other politicians with this until eventually the conscience of England was won and, and that's what, what resulted.
0: If you're interested in hearing stories of great Christians, 10.15 on weekday mornings and also at 3.37 on weekday afternoons. Back to the topic of cults, and let me encourage you, if you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can send that question via WhatsApp or text to the phone number one 782 I'll give that to you again. WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Or you can call and be put live on the air. We would be glad for you to do that. The Phone number is one two six eight. Four six two seventy four twenty, Pastor. These prophecies that were made on specific dates that were supposed to the world was supposed to end or Jesus Christ was supposed to return. Um, how what happened when they didn't become fulfilled? Was there an exodus, people leaving the? The Jehovah's Witness religion?
1: Yeah, um, that happened not only with the Jehovah's Witness religion uh, when the dates were set, but it also happened with the, Je- the uh, Seventh Adventists. when in 1833 and then 1834, first in March and in October, uh, and then they had the great disappointment, 1834. Um, people just left a lot of these movements. Uh, but some still persisted over a period of time. Same thing with the uh, the JW. They've had exoduses when they've set dates and the dates didn't come. Uh, So that is to be expected. But again, there are people who have remained with your organization because it's very, very difficult after you've built your life believing something then to make the shocking discovery that all you've followed is just a myth and that you've been misled. And there are a lot of people who find it difficult to embrace uh, that reality and they would rather remain in the darkness rather than be shocked by the reality of truth. And, and consequently, they're those who, no matter what happens, they're willing to take the spin that the organization has given as a basis to continue within the organization. The other thing I'd like to say about Nathan is, let's forget that there is such a thing as spiritual darkness. Remember that um, Corinthians chapter 3 talks about Israel, that in reading the book of Moses, there's a veil over their eyes. They can't see the truth whatsoever. But then Paul says that veil is removed through Christ. In other words, it's like you're reading something but the lens is giving you a distortion. You can't really see the truth and then suddenly you replace the lens and now you can see clearly that's what the Bible points out to happen. If that could happen to Israel, you can imagine what it could happen to anybody because Israel was God's select people but because of their disobedience and sin and unbelief The Bible said they were judicially blinded by God in the book of Romans, but that veil would be lifted off and lifted off in Christ. But
0: how can a loving God allow people to be blinded to the truth?
1: Well, let's put it this way. We are responsible for the knowledge that we are given, the light that we're given, and there's nobody on planet Earth anywhere, any man that truly seeks God with all of his heart and is willing to uh, respond, God will get that message to him somehow, whether it be through a missionary, whether it be through a visit, The problem is, are we willing to follow Scripture, follow God's Word? Are we willing to follow an organization or even a church or an institution that interprets the Scripture? Are we going to allow the Spirit of God to show us what? Because He's the teacher. When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He's the one to illuminate the Bible to you. Uh, So it's important for us that no matter how... Grant a preacher or teacher or priest or whoever that person may be. He is not the absolute authority. The word of God is the final authority, and you must look to Scripture and the Holy Spirit to help you interpret Scripture, as opposed to looking to man. Otherwise, anybody can be deceived, unless we allow the, the word of God to be the final authority.
0: Why is it that you believe that? God, why do you believe that God has not given us this is the specific date that Jesus Christ will return, or this is the specific date? that the world
1: will end. Why has he left us in the dark? Well, we're supposed to be living by faith and not by sight. Uh, There's an element of faith that has to be there. As long as there's, uh, for example, um, if we know the exact date that he's coming back, let's put it this way, there are some people that if it is a long distance, they'll live it up for a while, and human nature is such, well, I'll I'll, I'll begin to clean up my life before that particular date comes. Uh, the other thing is that by having this hope, we purify our lives. Uh, if we know when the Master is going to come, uh, we prepare ourselves for that. But if we don't know, we keep ourselves in a state where we are always prepared. We, we're supposed to live looking for him and uh, it's wisdom. And then uh, imagine if he had said, look, look how many years of Christianity has gone by, almost 2,000 years. Uh, imagine if he said in 2020, that's when he's going return. What do these people who, what are their, how are they going to live Expectant. Mm. How are they going to live Expectant. Now, now nobody, the Lord could have come back any time because he left that as imminent, but we have to live with this expectancy. And remember that uh, those going through trials and tribulation and going through hardship and difficult need something to look forward to. They need something to ho- ho- hold on to, basically. And I think that expectant spirit buoys you up when you are going through trials and temptations, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's all part of God's wisdom in that respect. The other thing is that um, don't forget that the delay of the Lord's return, we are told in Second Peter, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So this delay period is to allow as many people as possible to take hold of the truth and believe the truth and embrace the truth. So extending this period of time is providing opportunity for salvation. That's how gracious God is.
0: Pastor, are there any warnings or suggestions that you would give to a Christian, a born-again believer who is wanting to witness and be a testimony to a Jehovah's Witness?
1: Well, all I would say to a person like that, you're going to require an extreme amount of patience. Um, If you don't have any patience, um, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to minister to a JW. Uh, The other thing I would say to that person is that, you have to uh, read up on the literature to find out what they really believe, and one of the, the things that you need to be able to do is to discredit the organization. If you can't discredit the organization, there's no way that you're going to be able to deal with doctrinal issues, because remember, uh, their belief system centers around the headquarters. Jesus came back in 1914, and he's been ruling invisibly from that organization, directing these men who are the leaders, giving them and informing them the correct interpretation of scripture, and all the doctrine that they give in the uh, magazines, whether it be the Watchtower, or the Awake magazine. This is actually coming directly from God through his spirit and through angelic beings. Now, the only way you could do that is to destroy or undermine the credibility of the where these things are coming from, because they are telling the people this. So if you can show it to them, hopefully, and you can get them to actually do some investigation because most people that you tell these things to uh, think you're apostate, you're against the JW, you dislike the movement, uh, they think that your facts are skewed. But if you can get them actually checking for themselves in their archives uh, or reading some very good books where they got copies of these, these documents, et cetera, so they can verify that these are authentic, it would help them. The other thing that you need to be very careful about that, that Jehovah's Witnesses can overwhelm the, the average Christian with his knowledge of verses of Scripture. Not knowledge of Scripture, but verses of Scripture because they've been systematically trained how to respond to certain matters. They, they've got it uh, already in their minds memorized what Scripture to respond, et cetera, et cetera. And they can overwhelm you unless you yourself are knowledgeable of their doctrines, their teaching. And if you are impressionistic in the sense that uh, because they can spout off all of these verses, therefore, they know the Bible very well, that's a superficial way of understanding the JW. They have been systematically indoctrinated in their witnessing how to respond to questions, how to deal with issues. We have not done as good a job in in training our people and mentoring our people in that respect. So a young convert can be really overwhelmed. He's trying to lead the JW, but it might be a reverse because he's so aware of the kind of Bible knowledge this person may have, so he had to be very watchful in that regard.
0: What advice do you have for the person who's listening, but doesn't claim to be a Christian, that maybe has already or is being uh, contacted by a Jehovah's Witness or will be in the future? Again, a person who doesn't claim to be a Christian, but the Jehovah's Witnesses are contacting them. What advice do you have?
1: Well, whether whether they want to or not, they will be contacted. If you are living in any particular area for any length of time, there's no question somebody will knock at your door someday and it will be a JW. So it's inevitable that you're going to get in contact with uh, these type of people. What I would say to a person like that, if you're not a Christian, um, I would say you have to be very watchful and very, very careful because uh, it's not by accident that this movement is growing. Uh, it's not by accident that um, um, they've come up with their own translation of the Bible, etc., etc., and the extensive use of literature, and it's normally multicolored. It's, it's not just plain black, black and white, so it's very attractive. And if you're a person likes reading, uh, and they give you a literary temptations to read a little bit, if you don't understand that their interpretation is skewed, and that um, the translation is a perversion rather than a legitimate translation, you can be misled. My counsel to people in that regard, as much as possible, is to try to stay away from uh, the JW. Uh, If you're not a believer, if you're not a settled person in your own, even the the Christian uh, belief system, my suggestion is you're not a match uh, in terms of dealing with them, again, it's because they have been systematically indoctrinated uh, in, in, in the scriptures. So you need to be very careful. I would not recommend to have a one-on-one discussion with them, um, especially if you're by yourself and you don't have any biblical background. I would say to you, be very, very watchful and very, very careful.
0: We've been talking about how the Jehovah's
1: Witnesses are teaching a false gospel. What is the true gospel, Pastor? Well, the the... the Bible is very clear that the gospel centers around the person of Christ. Um, It has to do with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And in simple language, uh, it is Christ's substitutionary death dying in man's place and where he has met the the demands of the law and totally fulfilled all the requirements so that it puts, uh, makes God able now to forgive man of his sins because the sin debt has been paid. The law has been has been uh, righteously fulfilled in every demand. And God is able now to forgive the sinner uh, through his faith and trust in Christ. Uh, but something else happens. He not only forgives the sinner, he imparts the righteousness of Christ to the sinner. He imputes it, the Bible says. So it has to do with having one's faith and trust in the substitutionary atonement of Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection uh, for our justification. So it's a very simple matter of trusting Christ, putting your faith in Christ, but understanding that this Christ is one who is God, the Son, this Christ is one who died in our place as a substitute, and this Christ is one who makes righteousness available to us when we put our faith in Him. So the simple thing is just to believe in Christ, to trust Him, that is in essence what the gospel is all about. And you're not
0: being a cult by saying that the gospel, the only true gospel is in
1: God's word. Well, uh, listen, when we talk about cults and non-cults, the issue at hand with us is what, how does what this teachings compare with the Bible. We okay. can make those kind of definitive statements about the gospel because that's exactly what the Bible teaches. And there is no gospel apart from what I just said. Um, any other proclamation that offers any other hope outside of Jesus Christ, outside of his death and his resurrection, is a bogus gospel and another gospel. And Paul said, if a man preach another gospel, let him be a curse. So there's only one gospel, and that is what the Bible teaches.
0: Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? We have 40 minutes left in the program, and we would love for you to send in your questions or call with your questions. If you'd like to call, the number to call is 268 268- 462 7420 again 268 462 7420 if you'd rather just whatsapp or text message your question to pastor murphy that will work also the number for that is 268 782 1454 or you can go on facebook live and watch the program live, and then just put a comment, and your question will be passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, let's spend some time looking at some of their uh, peculiar beliefs, and then we'll look at some of what they believe about some of the key doctrines that are in the Bible.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about the fact of being born again. They have some unique teaching on this matter. Now, John chapter 3 and also Peter talks about uh, no man can enter the kingdom except be born again. But within the Gio- G- JW theology, there are only one group of people that are born again. That's the 144,000. Okay. They're the only ones that are justified, they're the only ones that are born again. And remember that this 144,000 are the only ones that are getting to heaven. Even Jesus Christ was born again, according to the, 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 the JW. And uh, so it's a unique teaching, a unique doctrine. Um the biblical teaching really is that any man that wants to get into the kingdom of God, get into heaven, he must be born of the Spirit of God. That's the biblical teaching. But the Jehovah's was restricted this to hundred and forty four thousand. So only this hundred and forty four thousand. So it's saved. the
0: first hundred and forty four thousand that are that do this formula C- correct. are saved. That what is, about the
1: rest of us? Well, what happened is that the, the rest of uh, when the Lord returns Those who are down here Who are true faithful To the Jehovah's Witness Everybody should be destroyed Except the Jehovah's Witness people Their hope Is not heaven Their hope Is living on earth For a thousand years And then if they're faithful For that thousand years They'll go into the eternal kingdom But they're not going in As spirit beings They're going in as, as humans With their bodies They're two different groups Only the 144,000 Jesus has spirit have Are spirits We made um, spirits But the others will be in their physical body, uh, but they're not going to be changed and transformed into spirit. So their hope is not a heavenly hope, their hope is an earthly hope. That is so um, unscriptural. In my understanding
0: that they have to earn their salvation then
1: by living
0: a good life in that thousand years, otherwise.
1: That's another unique teaching about the atonement. Uh, Christ um, did not complete the atonement, he did part of the atonement. And what he did, is that he restored the human race to where Adam was. Okay. Adam lost a perfect life. Now he's given us the opportunity to get a perfect, a perfect life. So the same way Adam was on earth as a human being, what Adam lost was because he disobeyed God, he was put out of the, the Garden of Eden. What Christ has done is given us an opportunity to be put back in the Garden of Eden in the restored kingdom. Where do
0: they get that from scripture or that's all extra
1: revelation? All of that is supposed to be derived from uh taking different parts of scripture from different parts of scripture, but that is what the God told the select interpreters for the JW that this is what is all about. Again, it's what they say, how they interpret the Bible that's passed down to the followers through the Awake magazine and through the Watchtower magazine. So that is their spin on it, but any person that would take their Bible and read it for themselves would recognize that the one hundred and forty four thousand are not jehovah 's witness they are Jews, twelve thousand from each tribe. It has nothing to do with the jehovah 's witness and it has to do later we will discover with the, the the tribulation period and that these would be uh, one hundred and forty four witnesses sent out over the whole world because the church will be raptured but again. When you don't have that knowledge and that background, and you don't even understand the biblical uh, teaching and eschatology and things to come, and the organization has thrown that at you, and you're, you're a person who are faithful, remember that if you don't go along with the organization, you don't have eternal life. If you're not faithful to the organization, you will not uh, escape Armageddon. Uh, so you're living by whatever they tell you, you have to follow
0: question that just came in from a listener in Antigua. Would the Jehovah's Witness ministers allow personal interpretation from other JW believers since a believer might receive a revelation from Scripture during a personal devotion?
1: Absolutely not. It's only what comes from headquarters. They do not encourage independent thinking. So it's kind of like the Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. Correct. Basically, they they blame the Catholic Church in the Dark Ages for people in darkness because they had to come to the Pope. Now, in a sense, they've reversed that, where everything that a proper interpretation must come to the organization. So they do not encourage people. As a matter of fact, they would not allow a Jehovah's Witness to read uh, anything written by an ex-Jehovah's Witness explaining why they came out of the movement and why the doctrine is incorrect. You do not associate with a And if they discover that you're reading a book that was written by an ex-JW, you are disfellowshipped and you've put over the organization, that means that your family can't speak to you. Uh, you are almost like a pariah, uh, and that is part of the, the pressure that is placed on the JW to stay within the organization, remain silent, and they don't explore and investigate what ex-people. For example, there's a guy called Franz uh, called uh, The Crisis of Conscience. I would recommend anybody get that book. But he was part of the, he was a family to Franz who was the president and he had to come out of the movement, and he wrote a book explaining how the core group of leaders operate, and that these are not men who get direct teachings from the Holy Spirit. He exposes it in its totality. But again, if a Jehovah's Witness was found reading that book, he would be disfellowshipped, brought before the, uh, the church court, uh, excommunicated. So they are trapped, because if you want to find out, you've got to investigate. But you cannot be found with these type of books, uh, and therefore, you remain in a closed box with your eyes shut, and all the light that comes in comes in from the uh, headquarters.
0: Another very practical question that has come from a listener via WhatsApp here in Antigua. When a Jehovah's Witness comes to my house, how should I respond, or what should I say or ask in order to witness to him?
1: I must tell you, uh, I'll tell the, the person who sent in that question, I was very antagonistic towards the JW until I started doing some more extensive reading. And my heart goes out to them because when I really found out what not only what they believe, but how they are completely trapped in a system where you can't do independent thinking, where you can be totally disfellowshipped if you read certain books of people who was in the movement and then left the movement and gave the reasons and exposed the errors and the flip-flops, etc., etc., my heart really went out to them. And then when I began to discover that only 144,000 are supposed to be going to heaven, and that number ended in 1935, um, after that nobody is coming into the kingdom, basically, uh, my heart really felt for those um, within the the, the movement. And then when I begin to understand some of the the teachings and the doctrines, and they're so unscriptural, how they've created the New World Translation, which is a total distortion, a travesty for translation. Then I read all of these uh, Greek scholars who all of them condemned the book as a complete perversion. How can an organization so deliberately mislead the masses? So my mind has changed. I see these people as people who have a cloud over their minds. It reminds you of Israel in darkness. And uh, I was inclined to ignore them, give excuses why I can't speak to them. I would say to you that that has changed. I now need to really chat with them, converse with them, and uh, try to bring them out of this darkness that they're in and try to get them to understand and explore their faith so they can discover the cover-ups and the flip-flops and the, and the false doctrines, et cetera, et cetera. But I would not recommend that to every any person. I think unless you're knowledgeable in the Bible, unless you've done some uh, research of what they believe, unless you can respond to some of the f- twisted interpretation that they give, uh, I think you put, ought to pursue that with caution.
0: Are there any other Peculiar beliefs or doctrinal differences that you'd like to draw attention to?
1: The thing that the JW is known for, really, is its denial of all of the cardinal doctrines of the Scriptures. For example, they don't believe in the Trinity. Um, they say that it's a three-headed monster. They say that Satan created the Trinity. Um, uh, it is pathetic when you hear that kind of a teaching when you go to the Bible, Um, if we had time to go through that, we'll discover that um, there's a, 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 the the Trinity is not something that the church created. It's something that is discovered. Uh, The thing about JW, by the way, is that what they cannot reason out, they're not going to accept, they're not going to believe. Their final God, if you want to put it, is is reason. Uh, That is the absolute decider in terms of what they believe. If you can, it's not I see this in the Bible, I may not fully understand it, I may not fully comprehend it, but it's been revealed as a truth. Therefore, I embrace it by faith. That's not the thinking of Jehovah's Witness. If I can't understand this, I can't believe it. It's irrational. Therefore, um, it is not something I'll embrace. There are also the deity of Christ. is another, and, and then the twisting of the scriptures. I mean, there's so many passages in the Bible that talks about Christ's deity, that he's God. He's actually called God in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He's called God in John chapter one verse one. He's called God in the the God and Savior. And again, the Greek, the Greek language, the the order and the sequence that is there. There's only one way to interpret that. The same one who is God is also Savior. Uh, you can't play with Greek grammar in that respect. He's called God and Savior in in, in that passage. Um, he called himself before Abraham was I am. He, he takes the same name in Exodus chapter three. What is called Yahweh? They call it the, the Tetragrammaton, YHWH. Uh, that's the the word that the Jews would have for God. That when he said I am, he's saying I am the I am that Moses referred to in, in uh, Exodus chapter three. He's claiming to be the eternal one, the one who has self existence. Uh, that is very, very, very clear. I mean, there, there are lots of other things. I mean that he's. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient. Uh, Bible verses make that very, very clear as well. He accepted worship. Um, um, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, and he never reprehended um, Thomas. I mean, can you imagine a person bowing to you and said, my Lord and my God, and I do nothing about that? (laughs) Uh, So the deity of Christ, also the physical resurrection of Jesus, they totally deny that. Now, how can anybody deny the physical resurrection of Christ? You remember when Christ stood before Thomas, and remember he appeared and Thomas said, I as I, I see him and touch him. Um, I would not believe him. Then he appeared and he said, okay, man, touch me, feel me, whatever it is. And then he said, I'm not a spirit. A spirit don't have flesh and bone, see? I'm not a spirit. Um, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And then the Bible interpreted He spoke of the temple of his body, see? But how then can you have all this massive evidence and then you said that Christ was not raised bodily? So what happened to his body? Well, some some of them said that his body dissolved in the grave. The others people, people said that God just removed the body, etc. But he was not raised in in a, in a body. He's a, he's a, a spirit, okay. But Christ Himself said, "I'm not a spirit. A spirit don't have flesh and body." And then on the um, Sea of Gal- uh, Sea of um, in uh, John chapter twenty, when he appears after his resurrection, Peter said, "I go fishing." And then he eats fish. I mean, can anybody uh, tell me how it's mm. possible mm. to believe that Christ was not raised from the dead bodily? Then uh, Paul writing in Timothy, after the Lord, that he, there's one meeting between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. When Stephen was stoned, he looked into heaven and said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. You can't see his spirit. Very, very clear. So, there's so much evidence in the Bible that would support the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Christ. When our Lord uh, went up into heaven, they saw him go up into heaven, and they said, I will return as I came back, visibly. But they don't believe that Christ is coming back. Visibly, the world will not see him.
0: See? What about man? What do they believe about man and his afterlife?
1: Well, in terms of man, man doesn't have a soul. Man doesn't have a spirit. Man's a combination of flesh and breath. And when flesh and breath come together, you have man, but it, it, it is no soul, there's no spirit. So when a man dies and his body dies, the man is extinguished. Uh, again, anyone that would read scripture uh, would see very clearly that that is not true. Um, so when Jesus said to the Father, into my hand I commit thy spirit, did he commit his breath? What's the sense of committing his breath? Mm-hmm. There are many other passages of scripture uh, in the book of um, Ecclesiastes. It says that the spirit of man goes to be with the Lord. See, So there is a spirit and there is a soul. But the Jehovah's Witness and the Seventh-day Adventists, by the way, are the same. They don't believe that man has a soul. And remember when we started dealing with the Jehovah's Witness the historical connection between the Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah came out of the Seventh-day Adventist movement uh, and they took some of the doctrines from the Seventh-day Adventists because they too believe in soul sleep, they don't believe that man is a soul has a soul, uh, etc. And also the doctrine of um, annihilation. That's another doctrine that they borrowed from the Seventh-day Adventists that there's no such as eternal hell, there's no such as eternal torment. Uh, that was also borrowed from the Adventist movement. So, they don't believe in the Trinity, the deity of Christ. They don't believe in the physical resurrection of Christ. They don't believe in the physical, visible return of him. And they don't believe in hell. They don't believe that man has an immaterial part. If they don't believe in hell, how do they excuse? Well, what does the word hell
0: in the Bible mean? Because that word is all throughout Scripture. Yeah, but
1: the thing you need to remember about the Jehovah's Witness is that they give their own interpretation to the word. Okay. They would use the word like we use the word, but it's a semantic game. They have injected their own meaning into those concepts. This is not only true to Jehovah's Witness, this is true of all major cults. They're using the language, the lingo, the, 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 um, the jargon that we would use in Christianity, and we think, because they speak of hell or they speak of Hades or whatever, that they mean the same thing that the Christian would mean or the or a lexicon would mean. But that's not. They've given their own spin to the meaning. So this is how they play the game uh, in that regard.
0: Uh, what about the Holy Spirit? I think you touched on this last week.
1: Yeah, the Holy Spirit is God's active force. Uh, he is not a person, um, He is just the power of God. Again, uh, if you go into the Bible, that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, Jesus said, When He, the Spirit of Truth, is come. In the Greek language, it is in the masculine pronoun that is used of the Holy Spirit again and again and again. He will guide you into all truth, He will teach you. Now, how can an inanimate force or power teach? How can He guide? Uh, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. How can you grieve something that is not a person? The Holy Spirit um, speaks. The Holy Spirit um, guides. Um, When you read the Scripture, uh, you find that the Holy Spirit spoke when it was Paul and Barnabas was going to go out, etc., etc. So, if you go into Scripture, the Holy Spirit—he has a will. He has feelings. He can feel. And, of course, he has intellect because he can teach. That's what makes a person. He has will, emotions, and intellect. Uh, If you go to the Bible, you'll find that the Holy Spirit has emotions. He has a will and he has an intellect. Uh, The personality of the Holy Spirit cannot be disputed whatsoever.
0: Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.38. You're listening to That's Truth. You have a question for Pastor Murphy. You still have time to send that in or to call in with it. The phone number is 268-462-7420. That's the phone number if you want to call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268-782-1454. Pastor, I've been told that they don't celebrate birthdays. What is the rationale for that?
1: Yeah, the rationale for that, basically, is that um, they think that if you celebrate a birthday, you're giving excessive attention to the individual. And then they said, if you look into the Bible, there are only two birthdays that were ever celebrated. And uh, both of those were by pagans. One had to do with the Pharaoh. You remember when he celebrated his birthday and then he, he killed the butler? Uh, at his birthday, remember also John uh, in um, sorry Herod uh, celebrating the his, his birthday, and then he had the the, the head of John uh, uh, cut off. So uh, they say because Pharaoh and Herod um, celebrated the birthdays and was responsible for the death of uh, someone, they feel that uh, these are the only two examples in the Bible, and they were all pagans. So why should we celebrate birthdays? but what they have uh, forgotten is that in job and uh, the book of job um when the sons would celebrate day day what's called their day if you also compare that with job chapter 3 verse 1 to 3 that that their day referred to the day of their birth so clearly when the boys got together they got together for their birthdays uh but again that's their spin uh on this matter the other thing in luke chapter 1 verse 14 uh, when John was born, it was said that many will rejoice at his birth. So clearly there was a significance about um, John's birthday, that is John the Baptist. But they they do not celebrate the birthday because they think of these two pagan individuals, um, the only two in the Bible that they said that was celebrated, therefore Christians should not. That's the biblical that's the basis that they have come about for celebrating birthdays. However, they celebrate... The hundredth anniversary of the organization, the birthday of the organization. <laughs> so it is kind of comical that mm. you would not celebrate the birthday of people, but you celebrate the birthday of the organization when it became 100 years. They had this big celebration of the birthday of the. Uh, the, of the uh,
0: You're listening to That's Truth, and we've been discussing for the last, I believe, this is the third week now. We've been discussing cults, and specifically the Jehovah's Witness cult, and we'll continue. With um, yeah. with other uh, cults, as we go on throughout this fall season, uh, next week we'll be discussing the Seventh Day Adventist and that religion, and how do their teachings compare to the biblical teachings, Pastor? On the Jehovah's Witness, we've been talking for a couple of weeks now about them. A very straightforward question are they Christians, why
1: or why not? It's impossible for me to in any way um, um, endorse the JW, a Christian uh, organization. I do not think it is possible for anybody to be saved and to know Christ as savior who does not believe in the Trinity, who does not believe in the deity of Christ, who does not not believe in the personality of the Holy Spirit, the deity of the Holy Spirit. Remember that the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. If there's no Holy Spirit to do convicting, how in the world is a person going to be saved? The Holy Spirit is supposed to guide you into all truth. He's supposed to bring uh, convict you of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, He's supposed to do that. How is He going to convict you of righteousness and judgment and sin? if he's not a person. I don't know how that is possible. And then, uh, of course, how are you going to be saved if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? That is part of the gospel. Then how can you uh, anyway believe that you're saved if you believe that Christ's death did not complete the atonement? He brought you to the point where Adam was and now you have to work your way through being faithful so that you have a right now to the life that Adam had. How in the world can that be anywhere redemptive? How can you be a Christian and not be born again? I mean, when you consider these these facts, the Jehovah's Witnesses are outside the pale of uh, Christianity.
0: But when you go on their website, jw.org, and they have a page that says, Are Jehovah's Witnesses Christians?, Yes, we are Christians for the following reasons. So I'm just going to go, go down ahead, go and ahead, go get ahead. your biblical sure, perspective. Sure. First of all, they say we are Christians because we try to follow closely the teachings and behavior of Jesus Christ, and they use First Peter 2.21 to back that up.
1: But well, the point is you're missing the whole thing here again. They don't even understand what a Christian is because they're saying they're Christian because they follow the teachings and the example of Jesus Christ. But is that what makes a person a Christian? A person comes to become a Christian when they put their faith and trust in the finished, substitutionary, vicarious death of Jesus Christ.
0: Okay, so the next point they say is, we believe that Jesus is the key to salvation. There is not another name under heaven that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. And I'll just go ahead and give you the the last. No, let me
1: stop there right there because anybody can say that they believe in Jesus, that he is the only name. The question is, which Jesus? It's not Nothing. just about of, of Jesus, right? It, which Jesus? Is this the Jesus of the Bible who is uh, God in the flesh? Is this the Jesus of the Bible who is with God and Part is the God? the Trinity. Is, he, is this the yeah. Jesus that, you know, you've got to define what this Jesus is. Anybody can claim. I remember that there's another gospel Paul talks about. There's a false gospel. Uh, but the question is, did Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, it is Jesus of the Bible. And if he's not the Jesus of the Bible, no matter what Jesus they're following, they're not following the right Jesus and they're not embracing the right Savior.
0: Another reason that they say they are Christians is they say, when people become Jehovah's Witnesses, they are baptized in the name of Jesus. Matthew twenty eight eighteen and 19,
1: using the Great Commission. But again, you don't need to baptize in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice there, they're very careful to point that out. They don't believe in any trinity, so therefore they only baptize in the name of Jesus. Again, anybody can baptize in it, but with Jesus. It all comes back to the authentic biblical presentation of the nature and the character and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the only true Jesus that we have. If we don't have, we have a Jesus that is contrary to the biblical doctrine, he's another Jesus and that Jesus that they have cannot save them because he's not the Jesus of the Bible. We offer our prayers in Jesus' name. You know, I thought about something recently. Do you know Hindus' prayer, you know uh, Mormons' prayer, you know uh, Muslims' prayer, uh, Buddhist prayer, uh, <laughs> that's not the issue. The issue is, coming back again, in Jesus, but which Jesus? It all boils down to the, listen, Christianity, the centrality of Christianity is Jesus Christ, not the Jesus Christ of man's imagination. It's the Jesus Christ of biblical revelation, who he is. And no matter um, using a name, unless that person is defined and his work is defined, Uh, salvation is only found in the biblical Christ. They don't have the biblical Christ. So no matter how much they're baptized, how much they read the Bible, no matter what, and they use the name Jesus, it's immaterial because it's not the Christ of the scriptures.
0: And the final point that they have on their website for why they believe they are Christians is we believe that Jesus is the head or the appointed one to have authority over every man.
1: Again, okay, there's nothing wrong with it. That part of it is biblical. We know that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know that he's sovereign. There's no question about that. We know that one day every knee shall bow before him and uh, recognize him as his lordship. So that's not a dispute. It, I, I bring you back to the same point again. This Jesus that they're talking about, is he the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God? Is he the one that's immutable? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, forever. Uh, is this one that died... Substitutionary death and fulfill the propitiatory sacrifice, sacrifice made salvation available to man. Is this the Jesus? Is He the one who is God's unique eternal Son, or is He uh, perceived to be some human being? That some is He the one that is uncreated? Because remember, the Jehovah's Witness believe that this Christ is the first creation of God. He was Michael, the archangel. Don't ever forget that. So, their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible.
0: They also state that uh, they do not believe there is any basis in Scripture for saying that God tortures people in an everlasting hell. Does God, does the Bible teach that God tortures people or people are being punished for their sins?
1: They, they point at the Jehovah's Witnesses. Remember that this old Russell started off. Russell started having a problem in his teenage years with the doctrine of hell. He found it highly offensive. And he found that all Christian doctrine and all Christian creeds were unreasonable. And he started searching, going outside Christianity because, and until he became part of the, J, the, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists. They themselves did not believe in eternal punishment. They themselves did not believe in a hell. Uh, and uh, so he is biased against the biblical doctrine about hell, and there's no question about it. The Bible makes it very, very clear that there is torment in hell, but that torment is self-imposed. And what I mean by that is this, the Bible has told us very, very clearly that we can escape the wrath to come by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If a man deliberately refused to take the way that God has provided uh, to um, avoid uh, hell, a man has made his choice in that direction. God has to punish sin. The wrath of God is upon man's sin. And uh, whether man likes it or not, God is a holy God. God is also loving God. So therefore the holy God who must punish man provided a way of escape because of his love, and he's made that available to man. But what if a man rejects that deliberately choosing to go his own way? God is left with no choice but exercises wrath in his judgment because his holiness has been offended.
0: You mentioned that Russell was offended by the concept of hell. Is the true gospel always offensive if it is leading someone to true salvation?
1: Well, you read Paul's writing. Uh, Paul talks about the offense of the gospel. Uh, Of course, the offense of the gospel involves more than just about hell. The offense of the gospel uh, is about God. Uh, In other words, it humbles man. It tells every man we are all in one boat. There's not rich and poor. There's not intellectual and somebody who's dumb and smart. In other words, there's nothing about you. We're all in the same boat. It brings us down to the same level, and that is offensive to human nature. And uh, So that is part of the offense to of the gospel. And not only that, uh, it's offense to the gospel also because a crucified Christ, who seemed to be crucified in weakness, but yet is the very power of God. That's offensive. Uh, to the uh, To the Jews and also offensive to the, the 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 Greeks, so the offense of the Gospel will always come when you present the gospel as it is it humbles man saying you 've got to uh, bow yourself before God in brokenness and ask forgiveness because you're you 're a sinner you 're not just a good person you 're a bad person and you need forgiveness that is humbling to man, so the gospel has an offense, no question about that. So,
0: you're saying that in order to be truly saved, you have to have experienced conviction. Apart from conviction, you can't be a believer in Jesus. You can't be a true born-again believer.
1: I'm not saying that. The Bible says it. Very, very clear the Bible says it. I mean, you read, uh, when He, the Spirit of Truth, has come, He will guide you in truth, and then He will convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And uh, you read the book of Acts, as the, the apostles went preaching the gospel. The Bible said they were pricked in their hearts. There's conviction in Anytime the gospel is preached and, and God is working, the Holy Spirit is working in a the person, there will be conviction. There is no salvation without conviction. There must be conviction. May I ask a question? Yeah, why would I want to trust Jesus Christ if I don't feel convicted about the fact that I'm sinful and I need him. <laughs> yeah. when you think about it, would just it, be a restrictive.: it, Yeah, force. yeah, it, it, it just, it, it's just part of the package. Repent and believe is the gist and the essence of what the gospel is about. So,
0: almost every organization or religious organization has done some sort of good. Uh, they may have misled the truth and misled people to uh, spend eternity in hell, but what is there anything good that the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing that we can learn from and apply to our lives in order to make us better
1: Christians? I, I don't know what social programs um, the the JW are involved in, what kind of activities. I do know that one of the setbacks for the movement is that they don't encourage the young people, for example, to get involved in sports. Uh, they don't encourage them to get involved in, um, I mean, um, national events like go to the stadium, uh, recognize independence. Uh, I am not sure, you know, like the Seventh-day Adventists, we know they're involved in hospitals and schools and so on and so forth. I'm not too sure what the JW in terms of any social work they're doing. But I would say as far as the Christian is concerned, um, I think we ought to really, really learn from them in terms of their zeal, in terms of their conviction about their beliefs, in terms of the sacrifice they're willing to make uh, in that regard. Um, I would say that those are some of the the... the um, things that I, I pick up from them Because um, You've got to give them credit You've got to give them credit That they're really, really uh, Zealous in terms of Getting the message out But again Their motivation is To be faithful To giving out Your witness message Because It's only your faithfulness That will allow you Not to be destroyed When Armageddon comes So the motive really Is self-preservation That's what it is And unless you are faithful In giving out The, tra- uh, the gospel uh, The, the uh, magazines And, and witnessing You, not being faithful, when Armageddon comes, you're not going to escape, you're going to suffer the wrath of God. So, it's self-preservation, basically, that motivates them. For us now, we believe that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, apart from any kind of works. And maybe because of that, we're a little bit lazy in terms of being more aggressive, and more dedicated, and more committed, and more active. Um, But there is self-preservation, basically.
0: We have a caller from Nevis. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question for Pastor Murphy. Good evening.
1: Good evening, sir.
2: Uh, The Jehovah Witnesses, they don't believe in a a six-day literal creation. They believe that God created the world in a longer period than six literal days.
1: Yeah, well, the Jehovah's Witness believe, basically, that each one of those days represents seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they actually um, believe the creation took place within uh, 49,000 years. So the, mm-hmm. each day represented 7,000 years, basically. That's what they believe. Mm-hmm. So I am aware of that. Uh, as a matter of fact, they said because Adam sinned on the 6,000s, uh, the uh, man is now doomed for six thousand years of trial and suffering, and then after the six thousand years, the Lord returns to bring about the seven thousand, which is the millennium. And we're now very close to the six thousand because um, the generation that uh, witnessed the Lord's invisible return in in 1914, that generation will not pass away until Armageddon comes. See, and then so the six thousand years come in very very close, and then after that, now you're going to a thousand year rule. Of Christ. That's their chronology, basically.
2: Yes, and about hell. Yes. You know, Jesus gave a story of the rich man and Lazarus. Correct. Now, they say hell there is the grave. Yes. And there is no fire in the grave. Yes. And... Uh, but who are you going to believe now? the hell, hell is the... The common grave of mankind.
1: Yeah, I understand that they say that. But again, that is not scriptural, is it? Because whatever Jesus is teaching in that parable, he's teaching about the afterlife, what happens after life. And the other thing about them, they say that Lazarus is all symbolic. Lazarus um, represents um, uh, God's people. The rich man represents the Pharisees. And the torment there has to do with the New Testament truth that would torment the Pharisees. <laughs> that is their interpretation. Now, where do you get that from? Again, that comes out of the Jehovah's Witness organization. But again, because they speak for God, uh, etc., the Jehovah's Witness uh, person who follows must accept their interpretation of that passage. But clearly, um, Christ is pointing out that there is an afterlife and that those who die outside of Jesus Christ will suffer Uh, torment. And there's not only that passage, there are many other passages. The word uh, that is used um, in the book of Mark um, that is used, the Greek word, has to do, the word really means torment. And it has to do with eternal torment as well. And then if you go to Revelations, when the Antichrist uh, and the devil is, uh, the false beast is cast into the lake of fire, a thousand years after, they're still there. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, now, yes, go ahead.
2: The believe about the uh, the lake of fire and the second death. They say it's just a death from which there is no resurrection. It's no torment. Yeah, but that, just that, that they won't be resurrected as in the first death. Uh,
1: correct, but they believe as well that people are annihilated. That when you die, there's no consciousness after after death. Now, that's part of the reason they don't believe. The
2: that. Adventists also believe that. Yeah, but
1: don't forget, the JW came out in Seventh-day Adventists. The, uh-huh. the, the doctrine about the soul sleep, the doctrine about the uh, annihilation and there's no hell, that was borrowed out of the Seventh-day Adventists. So there is a relationship between the two.
0: Thank you very much for that call. I appreciate you listening and... Real quickly, Pastor, we've got about 40 seconds left in this episode. Anything you'd like to add to wrap up the topic of the Jehovah's Witness?
1: All I would say to the people of Antigua and those who are listening, we are in a truth war. And the thing you've got to settle in your mind has to do with what really is the truth. And my suggestion to anyone who's listening, get your Bible, dust it off, make it a regular part of your life, And as you go to the scriptures, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand. We're living in a day of confusion and a day of deception. And the only safeguard against that is to have a handle on the truth. And there's no other source of truth than the word of God. My advice to you is to get into the book.
0: And I asked this question earlier, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, are Jehovah's Witnesses Christians? Absolutely not. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That's Truth. Be sure that you join us next week as we continue on the topic of cults, and we're going to be focusing specifically on the Seventh-day Adventist church, and specifically on what doctrines they have that are contrary to scripture. We'll take our time and go through them very methodically in a structured fashion. If you know of any Seventh-day Adventists, let me encourage you to have them listen and to call in with their questions or their concerns. Thanks again for joining us this evening. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth.